Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. What's, what is up, Luca Nation? So um, I'm really excited for today's episode for a few reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is Mr. Dan Fleischman is someone who I've watched his content from afar. I've watched his YouTube and his Instagram stuff and, and how he came up in the business. So from that personal reason, I'm excited. But more so, we became friends at the show. You know, the Coffee Breakers and us, they're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. So we've interacted on Instagram and stuff before, uh, but we never got a chance to chop it up and meet. And at the show at the National, I got to see kind of the guys behind the brand. And they were one of the most welcoming, one of the kindest. They gave you time and attention when you went over there. So I got to give a shout out to uh, the whole Coffee Breakers team. Uh, and today, guys, we have Mr. Dan Fleischman and Dan Le- uh, Lenhart on the, on the podcast. And it's the 10 for 10. You guys know what we're doing. The 10 guests in 10 days to kind of recap the National. So I'm really excited to have you guys on. Welcome to the show. Fleischman, Lenhart, thank you guys for taking the time to come on today. Thanks for having us. That show, the national was amazing. It was a, such a whirlwind. What uh? What was your what was your like impression? What was your takeaway? I, and I don't know. Was this your first national? Or have you been before? No, I went two years ago with Gary B. That's how I got back into the game. Um, I was I was supposed to go to see him for a few hours. I happened to be in Chicago, and I changed my flights and stayed the whole week with him, and I just walked around with his son as like Uncle Dan, and like went and bought wax around the, the show for a few days. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, but this this recent one was so much bigger. There was so much action. I mean, you could barely walk the hallways. It was mind-blowing to see uh, how much has evolved in those two years. And also seeing some of the interesting characters that have now integrated themselves in, obviously, with DJ Ski doing his multiple days at Tops, Steve Aoki with Tops, Ben Baller with Tops, seeing all, like, what TriStar did bringing in Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and, like, there was so much action everywhere from Panini and PSA and Golden Auctions. Like, they're just so much bigger and there's so much action. Every night there was a different event. I love it. And, and we, we just talked about that with Cage, like the artist coming into the hobby that moves it forward, right? Because this traditionally has been a hobby of, like, guys ripping wax, completing sets and things like that. But seeing guys, like you said, like artists, traditional creatives, traditional artists coming in and adding that touch. I, I'm curious. I know you're kind of like – part of that crew do you think like that's what helped cards go kind of more mainstream and become more culturally relevant having guys like steve aoki dj ski and the people that you mentioned to join the hobby yeah absolutely i mean i they're literally the founders of my company so (laughs) i (laughs) i mean i can't say more bluntly than that like i believe that anytime you can get massive amounts of eyeballs from logan paul and ben baller and different artists and entertainers and athletes it's just huge for the entire industry. It actually frustrates me when I see some of the traditional hobbyists getting mad like about some of these things that are happening. The more eyeballs that come in, the more the game gets more fun and you have to adapt to it. There's more interest. You had over a million or two million. I've, I've seen different stats about one to two million new hobbyists coming in and buying and collecting cards. You're obviously seeing eBay go through the roof and start doing endorsement deals with the guys like Steve Aoki to help it expand it. 
you're seeing such mainstream like sports channels adding on them opening up packs of cars like you want all of that whether you've been doing this for 10 years 30 years 40 years 50 years you want new fresh blood into the game it helps the entire market and yes of course the traditionalists the, there's different twists and turns and how they feel about it but overarching getting millions of people into into your hobby is exciting and so the way that actually all happened let's might as well tell you a behind the scenes story so the national I, as i mentioned i was walking around with gary for those few days we get back and we start a group chat and the group chat is just a bunch of like gary's friends and different business guys and friends and we're all just talking about the you know the national what happened what we bought what did you get what'd you buy what'd you buy i only bought a couple of bronze and a couple jordans and at the time the, the lebrons were 1050 dollars and so a lot of people have heard that gary bought 53 lebrons for 1050 each i watched him do the wire during the national and so i only bought a couple of those i bought a couple of jordans i bought a couple of lucas and when i get back i see like a thousand dollar lebron go to 1400 and then 1700 and so my little business brain gets buzzing i'm like wait this is interesting the group chat gets so big we start a second group chat and we start a pokemon group chat and then gary says why don't you invite some of your friends that are that may have collected in the past but don't have any cards now business friends, cannabis friends, music guys, get them all, let's get them all into a Zoom call and just explain what we're doing and why. So that's where Rob G never had a card before that day. Now he's got tens of millions of dollars in cards. Steve Aoki, Lewis Howes, the podcaster, cannabis executives, real estate executives, business executives are all on that first Zoom call with 36 guys. During that call, it was just Gary explaining his passion. You could feel it, right? You can still feel it, but like he was, you know, it's intoxicating. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. Out of 36 guys, 27 of them start buying, and like a dozen-ish go nuts, right? Those dozen-ish probably have 60 or $70 million in cards now. The day before that Zoom call, they had zero, like actual zero. And so to watch how deep Aoki's got, how deep some of these podcasters have got, obviously how deep Rob G has got buying the most expensive cards in history, like that – having that happen is huge for the entire market because if all of a sudden Rob's spending $5 million on a baseball card, that helps the whole market. The amount of press that happens. If Aoki all of a sudden is opening up packs and Logan Paul's opening packs and these things are happening it all stemmed from one zoom call, like just telling people why we like the game. Now I'm proactively trying to do that at all times, right? Whether it's events, whether it's charity events, whether it's social media content, constantly trying to bring interesting characters in, whether they're gonna buy a little bit of cards or lots of cards, who knows, but getting them interested in it usually has an emotional attachment to their past, to their childhood. And then what they take from it and what they do with it, like I said, some people didn't buy anything, some people went nuts. So Dan, I love the story and you know, the beginning of it, I'm, I'm sitting here going, wow, you know, it's culture and it's cards and it's people coming in and it's, it's great, but I'd be remiss you know, to our audience, if I didn't ask this follow up on it, right? It sounds like a Masters of the Universe type of scenario where you're talking about 30 people in a group who magically and coincidentally, the hobby has gotten hot in the last 18 to 24 months. It coincides with the same time that Gary comes into a group with a bunch of rich folks and says, hey, everybody buy because I love it. Now, it's not, there's no manipulation. There's no intention. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved his passion. Everybody said, go ahead and buy these things. Everybody thought LeBron was too cheap at that $1,000. And look, it's at $18,000 now. And it was like significantly higher than that. I guess my concern is, and maybe you can you know, help me with that and maybe help the audience with that, is 
you know, Gary comes on pretty often and he says things like, hey, you know, NFTs, it's like Internet uh, 2007. You know, 98% of this is going to fail. Only the good stuff is going to survive. Um, and then, you know, he comes on and says, buy VFriends, but then comes on this week and says, hey, VFriends are expensive. Go buy World of Women NFTs, right? You know, he, he does his thing, right? So, so do you envision a time where Gary comes into that group and says, hey, guys, we, you know, we, we got too far out ahead of our skis? Start not DJ Ski, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, we, you know, we, 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 maybe we should pair back. And then that group, which has now 50, 70, 80, 100 million dollars worth of cards, says, All right, we're going to start dumping these onto the market, and everybody's left holding a bag. Should we be worried about that? So, yeah, so let's walk through, let's unpack all of it, yeah, please. So, so, a couple things. One, Gary's very competitive, so he, he buys a lot of the cards that even when I want, like the Kevin Durant auto, he'll go buy it at the auction at the last second. Like, he's, he's in the game. The millions wait, wait, of he's bidding against you. Oh, yeah, you're messing me like you sniped me, you bastard. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> We're in full fledged battle mode at all times. Uh, so, a couple things one, in the group chat, for example, people are buying completely different cards, right? You've seen Gary talk about like a Kevin Durant card being undervalued, LeBron being undervalued, Michael Jordan being undervalued. It's not exactly rocket science, like he's just saying the couple of the main Hall of Fame stars, like that he likes, that's it. He's not out saying, go buy this exact card or this exact thing. He's also buying wrestling and stickers and weird garbage pail kids and all sorts of things across the board. It ends up being, who knows, 10 or $20 million worth of stuff. But he doesn't sell. Like, I, I want to buy stuff from him and I can't because he just doesn't sell. He's too rich. What's the point, right? So oftentimes I hear people about him manipulating. The guy's got so many $100 million plus exits and 900 employee come like, who cares about a couple million dollars? Like, get over yourselves. Like, it's not him buying a car for 400 bucks, selling for 700. It's never going to do anything for Gary Vee. Let's just be blunt. Next, the, the group, they argue. They buy different stuff. They buy Star Wars. They buy Pokemon. There's buying football and baseball and vintage. And how dare you, Dan? Why are you buying Kendrick Nunn? That's so stupid. Why are you buying LeBron James? You should buy bubble. Like, it's constant warfare. It is not like, <laughs> it's just not. You know, it's a, it's a constant thing that these guys love the game. They love battling. And uh, there, is not gonna, there is no version of a dump because these guys are lifelong collectors. And most of them are extremely wealthy from their other businesses. This is not like a whatever you call it. Anyways, there was no intention or. No, I mean, it's, it's great. And it's a great answer. It really is, especially if, if everybody's just in this for a long term and everybody wants to buy this stuff. I mean, look, I mean, people have to sell these things. They get ahead of themselves, right? I mean, there are certain things that you'd be nuts not to take a profit on. But it's not a grand scheme you were hearing it from a guy in the chat, one of the OGs <laughs> of that chat. He's, he's saying, hey, guys, we did not come in, create a uh, multi-level marketing scheme with, with Instagram group chats and, and, and decide that we're just going to crap on the entire hobby. It's not the point. And also, you now have brick and mortars that are expanding, right? And a brand that's expanding outside of the West Coast and all over the country where you're expanding and looking to hire. And, you know, that would just kill that, right? I mean, like, you know, all the hobby momentum that, that you know, that you and Gary and the group and everyone has created um, would just die. So I'll give you a compliment on this, right? I walked the Nationals my first time at the National. And the thing that surprised me the most was it was the combination of two things, right? The cultural aspect, the artists who were there, you know, the fact that, that you know, Happy Hour is being hosted by, by the tops artists, Blake Jameson and, and, and you know, your blood Ben Baller and DJ Ski doing his whole thing where people are literally getting it there and listing it on eBay and selling it for 5X of what they're getting the things for. I mean, it's an amazing, that collision of culture and breaking, right? I was shocked at how many people were set up with tables with a camera 
opening for someone sitting in Kalamazoo. That person's not at the national, but they don't have to be because here you are, you get on with Leighton or you get on with you guys or you get on with whoever, maybe boom, someone's back there. Dan is going to tell you he's sitting at the store right now and there's two people breaking right now. So when you combine those two, what I took from it was that's the future of the hobby and your brand has kind of already, you know, put those two together. You got the culture and the brand. It's really, really cool how you're ahead of the curve on that. What do you think, Dan? Want to show us a little panoramic quick view for the YouTube folks? Let's do it. Lenhart. So I'm, I'm sitting at the stage here. We have the bare brick army behind me. We have some uh, some paintings by Adam Moss over here, and then our retail storefront. We have our wax wall over here. Showcases on the wall. Showcases are filled. Obviously, we bought a ton this week at the National. Um, a little sneak peek of it. That's cool. Go ahead, Andrew. Behind I don't know. You're gonna you're gonna make fun of me for saying this, but to me, Probably. when I moved to the West Coast, one of my like I was so excited to see like what a weed dispensary looks like, and I thought they were so beautifully designed. You'd have like the weed plants behind the glass and all that stuff. Come back on camera. By the way, when I go but, to the West I, Coast, Dan, let I me get to an out burger. I want to see in and out burger. He wants the weed dispensary. I waited for your gotcha. <laughs> so, and what I noticed was how beautifully designed stores on the West Coast were. And that's, that's what I saw with your guys' store. It's so beautifully designed, so much glass. It's a place you want to spend hours. It's not just a place you want to come come in, get a car, talk to that like old LCS guy and, and bounce. It's a place people want to spend hours. I'm curious. I want to hear from Lenhart because he was at the booth 24-7. The guy was working 24-7. I'm curious because this is still a national show cage. Don't forget about that. Uh, what were people buying? What were people selling? Give people a little bit of a pulse on the market. Yeah, I think, uh, as we know, a lot of people that are investing like to invest, you know, a couple of months before a season starts in anticipation, you know, investing into the hype. So, I mean, quarterbacks were still, you know, on fire. A lot of people were looking for Herbert, not a lot of Burrow action, but a lot of Herbert, a lot of Jalen Hurts. There were a couple of Dak Prescott questions. Yeah, there were some off-the-wall quarterbacks, but um, I was still surprised that, all the all the goat talk was still there. LeBron, Jordan, everyone was really looking to trade up. You guys came up to the table looking to sell your Lucas Silvers. You know, there was still a lot. Like there were people that come up ask if we had Tony two coach cards, but you know the majority of the people were asking for you know the the main players, which I was kind of I wasn't really anticipating that. But um, you know we carry a lot of the main guys, Zion, Ja, just the big names in every sport and. and that's that's what was being asked for. Lenhart, I think we might have been there for the answer to this, but you know, I'll, we'll ask it anyway. One of the cool things about having a dealer, you know, spot at the at the at the national or any show, being you know, being a dealer, they're having a table is you never know what's going to walk up, what somebody's going to put down at that table. And you guys somehow, you're somebody that that people are seeking out now. You got a gigantic safe, you know, you got Dan's name behind the brand, right? It's you know, people you got the shirts all over the place. A couple of our listeners are walking around with your shirts on, which is pretty cool. Um, and the money counting machine, please don't forget. Yeah, that. I mean, people were talking about the money counting machine. We, we didn't matter what table, hey, you guys, gonna make it over to the coffee breakers and count the money machines. I'm like, are they gonna count my money because that would be pretty cool? I'll go over there. I don't know how much I have in my pocket, so we'll, we'll figure out. But, but, but it's it's awesome because people are seeking you out with the big cards. So, what were what were some because I know one guy that I, I can mention to you if you forgot it because I know it's a whirlwind tour, but what were some of the cool things, some of the big pieces that came up to you where people not that you had to buy it, but I mean like that people offered you at the show? There were a couple big um, there were a couple big Jordan LeBron dual autos. 
when it when cards get over a million, I don't really have a good sense of how much they're worth. If it's one or two or three or anything in between, it's just a lot. You know, I see a card, I'm like, that's a big card. I don't know how to put a number to it, but that's a big card. Um, so there were a couple of those big dual autos. There was also the one you were there for, which was a 2017 Patrick Mahomes 101 RPA. that was similar to the $4 million one that just sold. Uh, guy came up with his backpack. I was, I think I was, uh, I was standing doing another deal and he pulls out a couple cards of his backpack and I'm like, yeah, I'll take a look. And I turned it over and I was like, I was shocked. I just kind of looked around like, what is going on? What, am I really holding this? And then I looked at the next card and it was a Bowman Chrome Brady Refractor BGS 95. Yeah, and that was like the small card. That was like, that was, yeah, don't worry I, about that one. That's my little card. You're like, what? <laughs> and I kind of looked around. I was like, can someone else look at this to make sure I'm not, I'm looking at this right? Is this a Mahomes 101 RPA of National Treasures? So those were obviously some of the highlights. There was a lot of like, uh, I saw like a Shea Gilgis Alexander, Trey Young, uh, Dual Logoman 101. That, that came up raw. There was a Yao Ming LeBron dual, dual patch auto that we bought that came up raw. You know, so very, really interesting rare cards that you don't see. And obviously, you know, we ended up buying, a, you know, like a LeBron Refractor BGS9, you know, the, the big comic cards. But it was really interesting to see those low pop unique cards you don't see all the time, as well as the massive Mahomes 101 RPAs. And that was after the collections. I mean, Daniel was nonstop, nonstop. Every, the amount of selling that was being offered was at scale. And so for us, it was just a math game. You know, we brought a ton of money with us literally just to focus on buying. And it's hard because day one, day two, you're just like a kid in the candy store, right? Everything comes up and you just want to like make it rain. Like, I'll buy it, I'll buy it, I'll buy it, I'll buy it. <laughs> and then you start to realize that by like Friday, Saturday, like, oh, shoot, like I'm going to run out of money. And Sunday's the most important day because Sunday you get the best deals, right? On the last day, people don't want to schlep all their stuff back home. And so they'll they take crazy low offers. And so it was an interesting scenario. There was a couple big collections that Daniel bought and uh, Chad bought where someone brought us a $220,000 collection and they were, were figuring out a way to purchase it for $145,000 cash plus LeBron Refractor and a couple other cards to, to get to a number around the 170 mark. Uh, so remember, as a as a buyer, we have to be able to buy for anywhere from sixty cents to eighty cents on the dollar. Seventy cents kind of being your dollar cost average. Nobody really talks about this bluntly. Like we're we're open about all this. We we call it building in public. We talk about our numbers. We talk about our sales. We talk about our staff. We talk about all of it because I want people to understand the behind the scenes of the game. So Daniel's trying to buy sixty five cents, sixty cents, seventy cents on average on something that we really really want. We'll obviously go up to eighty cents plus if we need to, uh, because we need to have a, a spread, right? There's a couple of reasons why. One, if the market dips, we, we built in a little safety net for us. Two, we're selling at 100 to 120%, depending on the time, the season, what's happening with the market. If it's something we just don't want to sell, we'll go up to 110 or 120, but for the most part, we sell around market value. But the next thing is we, we pay sales tax. We pay 9.5% sales tax. So we have to build in 10% just for that off the gate because we're in California. It's very expensive to be here and we have a big overhead. And so we have to account for margins of error, account for state sales tax, and account for just general operations of like, what, how much does it actually take if I go buy 84 cards and now Daniel and team have to go inventory them, <clears throat> sort them, 
<clears throat> organize them, list them on eBay or, or golden auctions or at the store in a 333, that's a lot of manpower. It's not just one person. There's multiple people over and over and over. So that card, I can't buy a card that's 20 bucks for 16 and then go expect to make money from it because just the human power behind it. And so that's why I'm trying to buy at scale while we're looking at some of the, the grail cards and the bigger cards. I love buying cards that are 50 bucks to 500 bucks at scale. I want as many $200, $400, $300 cards as possible because that's really what the masses can afford. That's really what most people are going to buy, sell, and trade with us. Do I want to buy a $15,000 RPA? Yeah, cool. But I'd rather have $15,000 of me getting 50 $300 cards, if that makes sense. No, it I, makes perfect sense. So, so the follow-up question on it is, you know, that seems to be describing base cards. It seems to be describing, you know, kind of like those Zion prisms and the whole yep. nine yards, which are liquid, but have kind of fallen on hard times. Yep. So, uh, you know, we'll get back to the national in a second, but I mean, is that still your design and that's your design because you can flip them because that's what most people can walk into your show and be able to afford or walk up to your store and be able to afford. Yes. So what's interesting, like you hear something like the, the Luca base card having 17,500 PSA 10s, right? That's an insane number. However, if you really think about how many millions and millions and millions of fans does Luca have? And he's going to be one of our few generational players. He's going to be one of those few players that, barring any injury, he's going to go on to break so many records, it's insane. So is 17,000 that many? I don't know. And also what people don't take into account, most dealers, friends, people that I know don't have one of, the, of that card. They'll have four, 10, some of them have 20, 50, 100, 200, 300 of them because of the price point. And so the 17,500 sounds like a huge number. That's not liquid. There's lots of guys that have, you know, other sports car stores have 20 to 50 of them times hundreds of stores, hundreds of dealers, hundreds of people, plus all the collectors that just have it in their safe. The number is not as big as people actually think as far as the liquid market, because it's a car that's affordable, people have multiple. And so we do buy those at scale. I'll, you know, Zion and Luca are the number one, number two, most heavily produced PSA 10 card in history. However, they're also, they carry those years on their backs, right? And so ultimately, if they go on to continue to be healthy, that will always be the main card. And if millions and millions of more people get into the sports card space, a lot of them will gravitate to those obvious players. I'm curious. So that's actually exactly where I wanted to go. So after college, I moved to the Bay Area and I, I worked in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all that stuff. And I got to see some of the conferences and conventions early on in 2013, 2014. I've said the hobby reminds me of what Bitcoin and crypto was like in 2013, 14. Uh, also, poker, you know, in the early 2000s, it reminds me of that. I'm curious from your, your perspective, you know, I'm not going to ask you what ending are we in, but like going after the national, where do you feel that this hobby is headed? Sure. We are in the beginning stages of the evolution, but I will say we're not in the beginning stages of the market because it's been around for well over 50 years. So this game, especially around 20, 30 years ago, was massive. Most of the guys that I know, we all did this when we were four years old, 12 years old, eight years old, 13 years old. So it's been around 30 years where that was like the big, big, big market. And obviously that was also around the junk wax era as well for, for baseball. But for the new evolution, this is, these last six months in particular, is inning one. Why? Well, in the last four months, if you look at the headlines, most of the tech and innovation related companies have all raised eight figures each. What not 70 million loop 13 million, uh, rally road. I forgot something rally star stock, 
Star Stock, figures, alt raised $32 million. Yep. That's all in the last few months. And I can keep going. Golden Auctions gets acquired. Blackstone, the biggest one of the biggest VC firms, comes into the table. All these big executives and CEOs and athletes start investing into these rounds of financing for these companies. I don't want to tell you how many millions we've turned down already in, in, in buyout offers. So I'm, I'm with you. There's money being thrown all over the place. And so as more funds are popping up, as more VCs are coming in, as more executives are coming in, all of it happened literally this year. None of those funding rounds were really happening in 2020. There was like a little bit. They were getting their first rounds. They were getting their first amounts of capital. But these companies now are getting eight figures each, and they're not slowing down. And so we're just now at that turning point of like innovation where you're going to see the whatnots and loops and star stocks of the world. Now we just did a deal with a company called the real real. They have 23 million users that are pretty wealthy. This is like Louis Vuitton. It's like a fancy pants website with 23 million users. Now we have a whole sports card section on this site that they're pushing for us. I hosted a big thing podcast with them yesterday. Like they, they care about the space. And so when you have multi-billion dollar companies coming in, you've got eBay stroking big checks to Aoki to be out there on the face of it. DJ skis on the cover of eBay almost damn near every day on the sports card section. Like these are mega corporations with mega bankrolls, way bigger than all of us combined, right? And so when they start spending money on marketing, they start seeing the space and hedge funds and VCs start coming in. We are literally in the midst of the first inning. Something I was I was talking to Cage about, and we, we we mentioned this um, on the show. I mean, we said this all year, really. But last year, card prices have gone berserk, right? I mean, we saw card prices go six, seven, eight, nine, ten x. And I think smart business owners, right? We had Darren Herman on uh, from Bain Capital, and he said they always chasing alpha was kind of what we took away from that. Well, to me, if the card prices are going astronomical, the company that facilitate the card industry have suddenly become incredibly underpriced. So why buy a Jordan Fleer PSA 10 when I could go and invest in the company, that the marketplace that's gonna be selling? So when you see that, just like I said with the crypto thing, that, that's what I saw in 2013, 14, when you saw Coinbase and all of these different exchanges and wallets get a ton of VC funding. Uh, I definitely agree with that, that evolution of what you said. Uh, we're just in the beginning stages. Was there anything surprised you? Anything that, you know, if you were the CEO of National, uh, that you would change, fix, maybe modernize? At? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of key things. They, the Breakers Pavilion should be somewhere else, potentially at a hotel that runs 24-7. It's too loud. So us being a 24-7 breaking company would never, even if they paid us, I wouldn't go into the Breakers Pavilion. It's too loud. It's not functional. It gives a bad customer and user experience on the other side of it. I like the concept of it, but practicality of volume and distraction, it's too hard to utilize. Next, that main stage there should be back to back to back on the hour, every hour. The programming should be full from Wednesday to Sunday night. Wednesday morning, Sunday night, every single day, there should be programming. They brought in such big talent. TriStar brought in huge, you know, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Woo! Like you have mega guys back there doing autographs and signings and pictures and they spend real money on that flying you know private jets and everything to get them out there that main stage should have gary vaynerchuk josh luber from StockX, ken golden boom every hour on the hour for five days straight there's no reason it doesn't because they all love it right most of them would do it for free because they're already there anyways yep 
when Alexis Ohanian from Reddit is there, get him up on stage. When Ben Baller's walking through, get him up on stage. Like you have the access and the love and passion that these guys are paying for themselves to fly out and working with these brands, get them up on stage and make it a true proper auditorium style room. Information is huge in this industry. In every industry, information is a big deal. And the fact that so many athletes, business executives, and people that are part of the culture are in the building and willingly coming there, get them up on stage. And it's an easy thing for them to do. It doesn't take any special thing besides a stage, a microphone, and a bunch of chairs. That's it. The rest will figure itself out. And all these guys are already in town anyways. Um, and and fl flow of traffic is important. Right now, it feels like a, a cluster. You don't know where to go or how to get there or who's where. And so I didn't even get to walk the full show, and I, I desperately wanted to. Right? I'm I'm there from the night before till the night after. I'm there for a full week, and I still didn't get to walk the show fully because of the way it flows and the way the walkways are. Um, and there's no real map to really figure out where everything is. Uh, it makes it tough. And I think a lot of people are obviously grandfathered in with their real estate, with their spaces inside of it. But I think it's important to try to figure out a way to make it so, I, hey, I know memorabilia is there. I know that the card stores are there. I know that Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, non-sports is over there. Sectioning off um, would be a, a big help for a lot of people because we just don't know. And even when we're in it, we don't know where to go or how to get there. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately to me, I think the, the biggest miss is they also had a lot more space. They, this is something that they could have expanded. Like it is hard to get a booth there, really hard. I have so many friends that have card stores or businesses or whatever that want to buy booths and they literally can't because they're so sold out and so many people are grandfathered in. And so it, you got to expand it. You know, it, there's no reason to not expand it. It doesn't, it's not an exclusivity thing. It's not like a cool factor thing when it comes to national. It's not that this is not like complex con or magic, the clothing convention. This is a sports card convention about commerce and history. Expand it. And there was plenty of room to expand. There's a whole nother ballrooms. There's a whole other, there's a second floor there. Figure it out. Take over the NBC suites across the street. When Magic the Gathering, not Magic the Gathering, when Magic the Fashion Show, it's been evolving since the 90s. When it got too big, they had another show called Project and another show called Pool. Those are all the same week. They're just across the street. Magic ended up taking over multiple buildings, multiple convention centers. And as they expanded, guess what? The show went from 40,000 to 60,000 to now over 90,000 people in attendance. The National has, who knows, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people seem to have been there. And so because you already have one of the big, literally one of the biggest shows on the planet, imagine if you just expand it. You can expand it. They, there's no reason that they don't. So for, I mean, we get props uh, for doing a show every day. Uh, we kind of treat this podcast kind of like the, the hobby radio station uh, and we love it. But I, I got to be honest, I got to give you guys a shout out. 24 hours a day, nonstop breaking. The logistics of all of that uh, and always having someone on. And I'm, I don't mean like physically there, right? Because when you break, you have to be emotionally there. Um, kudos to you guys because that's that's not easy. Dan, I, I got to ask you, man. So cards and NFTs, to me, they seem to overlap. Did you feel like a uh, undercurrent of NFT talk? Did you feel like uh, NFTs are, are kind of, you know, people that are collecting cards are starting to get interested and dabble in NFTs. Talk to us about your, just your take macro on, on the whole NFT world. Sure. So NBA Top Shot was the one distraction for sports card uh, investors or sports card collectors because it felt the, the closest thing that they could understand, right? 
The hard part for NBA Top Shot and why it's had the huge dip and why I kept saying I don't invest into it is I'm focused on supply and demand. Every, every market I invest in, whether it's cryptocurrency and why I love Bitcoin so much is the limited supply. Why do I like the sports car market? I know there's 314 PSA 10 Jordans. I know there's around 2200 LeBron PSA 10. Like, I know that the supply is small and I know the demand will continue to, to grow. And so, <clears throat> so for me, it's just, how do I say this? Think about the best way. It's trying to be nice. You got, you, you got Cage the Top Shot gazillionaire up there in the top right corner, so he might here. help you out. The, su the supply of NBA Top Shot never had a chance. It's true. Because LeBron's going to have 46 more dunks this week, and he's going to have 84 more dunks next month, and 200 more dunks the next month after that. So who not, cares? Not if Russell Westbrook steals all the balls from him. And he <laughs> Dude, do, you see what, do you see what Panini's doing? So who cares if in, in 2020 on April 14th, Cage has a LeBron dunk? You're right. right? You see what 2022 and 2023, who, who's going to look back at that dunk? Unless it's like the holy shit, wow, he just, you know, last second dunk. What about the fourth dunk in the first quarter that he bought for 18 bucks? You're right. How? right. And, and some of them had 40,000. And then the next week they had another one with 25,000. So you're right as far as the supply. You see the Panini version of it? They come out there, NFT ones. Yeah. And it's basically mirroring the hard card and the base is limited to i think it's 17.99 the silver is at a 149 then they have like a blue at a 99 gold at a 10 and that's it that's for the year like no moments no dunks you know what the finite pop is people love silvers now you get a numbered silver out of 149 you think the same thing for that or you think maybe panini's kind of learning with what andrew likes to call that second mover advantage yeah the the first person to knock down the door is the first one to get shot right <laughs> So it's interesting. Again, there's going to be so many different options because NFTs are a JPEG or a digital art or like that. You know, they're just, you just can make more. And so we watch certain people in the space, they can do a big drop. And then if it's not limited, the re by the way, the reason VFriends works is there's only 10,000 of them. 10, I think it's 10,300. That's it. And so over the course of time, as Gary keeps getting more and more famous, the supply stays the same, but the demand grows. I like that. He's not doing another NFT tomorrow that's going to all of a sudden make that one useless, right? That's what has supply and demand to it. My concern for most of these is, whether it's NBA Top Shot or Panini, et cetera, if every week and every month and every three months, every six months, there's another drop and another drop and another drop and another drop, the, the supply is just so large and even with large demand, it's not enough to scoop it all up. Yep. And then when you start to think about the high price, you know, a lot of these crazy crypto punks and some of these things that go for five, six figures each, well, those guys are never buying the $40 to $500 type stuff. They're not buying the $800 stuff. So there's different levels to these, to these people. And so I, my main concern is lots more people are coming into NFTs, but not as fast as people are creating NFTs. I'm curious. Um... You know, let's say you were starting a coffee coffee shop, coffee store. I mean, a card store. I I'm, I grew up in the family business, so I still think coffee shop, uh, card store. What advice would you have? You know, people are opening stores all over the country now. You run a successful store. What advice would you have for people out there? Yeah, so overhead is the main issue for people. Uh, you keep your overhead limited and focused. Uh, you can have a successful business. No matter what happens in the market, there may be times where city gets shut down you got to be not having any customers for three or four months 
uh, making it friendly for people to be able to do consignment with you because you don't have unlimited pockets. You can't just buy everything. It's not real. The only people that can buy everything is Burbank sports cards. They seem to be able to buy 40 million cards and growing outside of them. There's no other car store that I've been to because I've gone to probably 45 stores to buy from them. Nobody else can afford to buy at scale like Burbank. And so someone that's opening up a car store, you need to have some capital to be able to buy and sell, you know, buy, sell, and trade. You need to have a space that's for consignment. Efficiency is what people truly care about. So if, if you're a PSA drop-off location or you're somewhere that can do consignment, people want to have information. So they want to have good records of when they dropped it off, Cage brought me these cards. Here's the six cards. Two of them are going to go to PSA. These four, we're going to sell for him. Here's the price points. Here's the minimum he's willing to take, blah, 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 blah. And then giving him that data. Having a wide collection is important. Does not need to be super high priced. You want to have some grails in case you get the, the rich guy or girl that walks in and wants to buy a gift or wants to add to their collection. But for the most part, someone like that might come in and tell you what they want. You don't have to have it. You can go source it for them and still make money. You can be a broker. People come ask Daniel all the time for some $12,000 card. He can find it for ten five. They're happy at 12 and everyone everyone in the mix is happy and he didn't have to actually have that card sitting on in the case and he didn't have to have that capital into the card. And so consignment's a big help for that. Uh, one tough part uh, is allocation. You're not gonna get a good allocation no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much access you think you have, nobody, and I mean nobody gets enough allocation from any of the major distributors. So you have to do what we do, we are constantly in the market at every event. We go to every other card store. We're buying from everyone. We're, we try to make friends with everyone. And we want to be the resource to be able to buy from their allocations because you will never get, and I mean this bluntly, you will never get enough allocation ever uh, for lots of reasons. Most of the other stores are grandfathered in and they just don't, they don't have it to give to you. And there's no reason to give it to you over someone that's had a store for 22 years. So by the way, throw that out there just to take a pause because we've heard many times Panini's printing too much. Panini's printing out there. They, they make too much stuff. Here is a huge 24-hour-a-day breaker saying you can't get enough product. So it talk is, about what the demand is out there, guys. That's it, it amazing is, to think about. It is our absolute hands-down number one issue is getting more product. I'm, you know, we're selling $300,000 a week, a week, and – I am driving up and down the streets. Mo, Daniel, we go to literally, we go to Frankenstein's, we go to Burbank, we go to our friends' stores, we go to people like we're calling every distributor and broker. Like we're all we try to do all day long is buy more and more and more and more wax. We can't buy enough. Our numbers sound cool. If I actually had the product to back it up to go even more, we would do more. Not not anything restricted due to demand. It's restricted due to how much product we can get. Lenhar, what's uh? Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna add to that. It's it's more than a full time job just to find, just to find the supply of wax. Uh, if there were four people all day sitting there just buying wax, that would help. But we have four, five, six. We have the entire company on offer up and Craigslist and eBay, and all we do is buy, and we still can't buy enough. You guys are on Craigslist looking for wax. That's how I know they're dead. Craigslist started this all, by the way. This is all Craigslist started this all. Uh, Lenhart, I'm curious. What, what's um? You you could do top three or top five. Like, what are the most popular wax products people are ripping right now? Uh, Select has gained a lot of steam. Whether it's the new Select UFC that came out that we got a chance to rip the national, 
I ripped uh, right before I hopped on. I was ripping uh, NFL Gold Standard that just came out. Before that, it was a one-box uh, break of Select Basketball that just came out in 2021. So Select is kind of gaining, gaining some steam along with you know them coming out with retail this past year. That was kind of big for just the Select uh, brand in general. Um, I think you know two, three years ago, people didn't realize how rare some of the Select uh, variations were, the cord size and the and those things. So now people are kind of a little more educated and picking up on the value that that is actually bringing when you when you actually open that box. A lot of a lot of people don't realize how often you're losing when you open a box. And so finding the products that have the big hits that are more common, like selecting one of them, um, that's that's been very popular. Uh, um, one other thing is we've had a lot of interest in soccer. Um, Prism, uh, UEFA, even the cheap stuff like Chronicle Cellos, Chronicle Hobby Boxes of Soccer, where you were able to get the Prisms, you're able to get some of those cards from the higher sets at a relatively affordable price. Um, so the UFC, Select, Chronicles, and then, um, you know, everyone, every once in a while, will we'll rip an old 2003 box or 1996 Chrome box. So those are kind of, those are kind of the top three, the old school stuff. Soccer's been popular, and then select all sports. So, guys, you went into the national probably with a certain mindset about the hobby, what you were going to do. Did you come out of it with that same thought process about the hobby? Did you come out of it with, with, with a different version? Did, was it better than what you expected in some regards, worse? I mean, I got to tell you, I went into it thinking, all right, you know, we have this build up to the national. It's been a couple of weeks of action activity because the national is there, and I was expecting sort of like a, maybe a letdown afterwards. People, you know, but I got to tell you, I left the national and I'm like, I'm reinvigorated. I really am. I think I thought maybe we we're gonna have like a slow one of these. I, I think we, you know, we might we might be looking at another another quick head up because I mean it is amazing how many people are out there, and not just the show, the trade events are amazing. I mean that is you got kids with these huge slabs just making trades, learning economics, you know, doing the whole stuff. So I'd love to hear what you got what your guys' thoughts are about that. Yeah, I mean it was so impressive how many humans were there and how much excitement there was. And, you know, it's a long show. So it's five days. It's not, it's not a joke. Most conventions are two to four days, five days is a long time. So it was very impressive how busy it was. Uh, we also saw different types of crowds as we got to Saturday and Sunday, you saw people coming in as their, you know, for the weekend, they're coming in as travelers and tourists. And so it was interesting. Wednesday is kind of like all dealers industry and you can see the way that people, worked and talked and Thursday was similar. And then Friday you start to see a blending of industry plus the masses, like people coming in from all over the place that are just tourists or hobbyists. And then Saturday was heavy. Like that was the busiest day by far, obviously. And that was really just people coming in for the weekend. Uh, yeah. I, the main thing I would look like to go in knowing now is one, I was trying to sell my kidney to buy more cards on day two. <laughs> Cause we were just, Daniel's well, that's good to hear, right? Because I'll tell you, and then you can comment on this. You ready? If you want to have more, you want to have more cash. You want to be more nimble with with money to buy the bargains that come up, right? So I walked out of the show maybe Friday, and I walked over towards uh, the whatnot ice cream, trying to get myself a Jordan uh, PSA nine. But I just wound up with a bomb pop. Nice job, whatnot. Um, you know, you could have snuck one for Cage. I could have got you some press here. You know, I'm not. I know I'm not twelve, but come on now. But in any event, it was a good bomb pop. I could use. That. I was losing my voice. So, so I, I left and I'm like, you know what, you guys, Mealy Pops, Ryan Card Collector, and maybe a few others 
were the ones I thought were well capitalized enough because I walked around the show and I try to listen. I try to pay attention because I want to have a pulse on the hobby. And I saw a lot of people walking up to tables with boxes, with cases, saying, hey, you guys buying? Everyone had a sign that said buying, but most people turned people away. Most people were like, no, I'm not buying. Or you got to, well, it depends what you got. You got like these, and they listed like three really liquid kind of cards that they could flip. They could try to steal from someone. You guys, you were buying, like legit. I saw people come to the table. Yeah, come on, let's take a look. We'll buy. Mealy Pops, Jamil from down in Florida, he had a line. And, you know, they were turning people away. Like, we don't really want these. But they had a line, and they said, we'll buy. We'll take a look at what you got. You name it. Card collected, too, the same deal. So I love the show, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, are people too card rich and cash poor now? Like, should I be worried about this? And I, I walk up to the what nothing right in front of it before I get, you know, my, my bomb pop is Luber. You mentioned him before. I said, Josh, what do you think, man? I said, you know, I'm a little nervous about this. I mean, people are walking around with cards and trying to sell them to the dealers, and deals are like, you know, pass. And he goes, I'm not worried about this at all. You know, he's, I said, what do you mean? He says, he says, the average age of the person in there is 20 years less than it was five years ago. We're doing fine. <laughs> and I mean, boom, just changed my entire outlook on the entire thing. What do you think of that? So I think it's, you know, card store owners, for the most part, are who have the boots there. And there's only so much you can buy. It's all, it's, it's there's levels to what you're doing. If you're, most stores only have one store. Uh, there's not really a chain out there. There's not someone that's just like Daddy Warbucks ready to buy everything like Burbank's sports cards can. And so it's, it's, it's tough for most. So listen, buying up 50 K or hundred K or 500 K there's levels to that, but that, that could be one or two or three cards or that could be one or two or three collections. There's no amount of capital you could go there with that you can use, right? Because there's million dollar cards and 500 K cards and 50 K cards. So even if you went there with millions of dollars, you could still go broke on day one buying up cards. So the capital part is really up to the business owner and what they can afford to do how much they're then selling while they're there, potentially using that cash to buy more, or if they're just going there to sell and you know recapitalize themselves for the rest of the year before the holidays come. It just depends on their mindset. You know, a lot of the, again, most store owners have been around for 20 plus years, uh, and all the new stores that have popped up are really just the last eight months, not even the full full year because of COVID. So, I, th I think it's going to be interesting to see as it evolves if some big money guys come in and back some of these store owners or some big VCs come in and back some of these guys. I think that could get really interesting if someone just had like the booth, like the buying booth, whether they were store or not, they're just like, Hey, we're buying, we'll pay 70 cents on the dollar to everyone. Come on over. I think they would have a line that was stay steady for five days straight. Mm -hmm. even, if they were, even if they were bluntly paying 70 to 80 cents on the dollar, I think they would have Definitely. a line from the beginning of the show to the end of the show all the way back. So, but they'd also need to have a gazillion dollars because of how much, you know, the market's big. There's a lot of cards. It's very true. So listen, the store is growing, right? Tell us where you're going with it and, you know, tell us, you know, you look at people. What, give us a little give about the store and then, Andrew, you can go back to the national. Yep. So we have two store locations now. We have Hollywood, which is our first location. Uh, our second location is in Salt Lake City. We're in front of Pioneer Park by the basketball arena. Our third location will be in San Diego, trying to get that lease as we speak. Our fourth, cool. our fourth location will be in New Jersey, and then we'll work on our fifth, sixth, et cetera. For obvious cities like you're in areas of Florida, we'll end up in Dallas, Phoenix, Vegas, all the, the main obvious cities. Uh, and we're also looking at Philly as well. And so the hard thing is finding good people in those cities that you can trust, right? 
they have a store with a million dollars plus in inventory, you got to trust the main, especially the manager, uh, to run the operation for you. So we're we're really looking for the right partners and people to be in these cities. These are not franchises. We're we're financing it, uh, so we're not franchising the stores, uh, but we are giving some equity to people that we think can help us run these operations in different different markets. Uh, we are definitely hiring on the breaking side. Obviously, we are a 24/7 operation, 24/7, uh, 365. So we're not even stopping on the holidays. We are just go, 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 go. Right now, we're only at two channels with the goal of going to five. So we have the coffee breakers and the pokey breakers. So the pokey breakers are breaking all non-sports, uh, but the coffee breakers ultimately will end up being football, baseball, basketball, and other sports all separate. So that. If Cage likes football and Goldberg wants to watch basketball, we don't have to watch each other for 36 minutes while you're ripping open a boxer pack. And God forbid Daniel likes baseball, we've got to sit here for an hour while he rips open <laughs> so many hundreds of cards, right? And so ultimately we do want to expand the channels to five channels. And if we do that, five channels 24-7, you need a lot of humans. You need a lot of breakers. And we do all same-day shipping. So the hard part for most breakers is it's a one-man or two-man show. And the amount of inventory and uh, coordination to make it so you don't have errors, it takes a lot. You need someone full-time focused on shipping. And so we have a full shipping department. We are literally focused on doing same-day shipping at all times because we know how it feels as collectors to want to wait. How We don't want to wait 13 days for our package to show up and the market might have changed or the player got injured or we want to get it graded or we just – you know, we're, we want it, we want it because we want it. It's a fun game, right? And so we are very aggressively focused on that. So we're looking for good people in Salt Lake City and Los Angeles for the breaking. And as we open San Diego and New Jersey the rest of the summer, I'll be looking for people in those cities as well. I'm curious. So people come up to your booth, rate these companies uh, or rate the slabs that people want. PSA, BGS, SGC, HGA, and any others. You know, what are what are your customers looking for? So PSA is, I don't know if you can see on the camera, but it's all the way up here. <laughs> like, it's, it's just not close. Like it's PSA, then it's BGS, and then it's everyone else. And so do people like the SGC? It looks cool. It looks like it's got a little suit and tie. Like SGC looks cool. But from a value perspective, it's not close. And then PGI, GMA, and these other, they're just, they have a very big uphill battle against them because you have to look at, BGS, these guys have been around forever and they know everyone in the game and they have a good, strong brand. The difference is it's like Nike versus Reebok. Reebok's still a cool brand, but it's not Nike, right? It's not the brand that we all grew up on watching Michael Jordan, right? And so PSA is far and away the biggest and coolest brand in the space and has the highest value to back it up. But also they now have a multi-billionaire behind it who's young, focused, has, has built and scaled and exited a company prior with Nat Turner. And he's not just the backer, now he's the CEO. And so as a betting man, I will bet on Nat Turner to go fix the operations of PSA. The main thing for all of us is not the brand, not the quality. Sometimes we might get frustrated if we get an eight versus a nine or a nine versus a 10 that we thought we should have got. That happens with any market, any inefficiency in any market. That part won't change much. However, the main thing is what the whole world knows about is there are millions and millions and millions and millions of cars behind. That's attributed to the fact that how big and cool they are and how impressed we are with them and what type of value they provide. He will fix that, right? It's just math. How many good graders can he get that can grade X amount of hundreds of cards per day times that by 50 guys, then 100 guys, then 200 guys, then 300 guys? 
or bringing in some technology that can help streamline it a little bit, not the whole process, but a little bit of it. Remember, each part of a grading process, even if it only takes 30 seconds to a minute, times that by 4 million cards. Do you know how many 4 million minutes is? It's a lot. And so every little part of the process is a lot. And so it's just a math and time game. And I believe that someone like Nat, who's already exited a large company before, will figure it out. I'm curious why no one opens up like a training center for graders. I think that they would make a ton of money, just like the recruiting, the recruiting business itself and like tech recruiting or recruiting business itself is one of the biggest markets in the world that nobody talks about. They get paid 10 to 20% of someone's salary. So if someone made a grading school, the same way they have poker dealer schools, right? Or in blackjack dealer schools, they make great money. And then they sell those people off to the casinos to go work as poker dealers or blackjack dealers. People have cyber coding their schools and then they train them and then they send them off to Facebook, Google, Amazon, et cetera, and keep 10 to 20% of their salaries. It makes perfect sense, especially in grading because it's very, 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 very difficult to find someone that's passionate and knowledgeable about a certain sport. Usually it's not going to be all completely wide. Someone that knows soccer is not necessarily going to know 1962 baseball, right? To know what they're looking for. So you have to find someone that knows a sport and then train them on the intricacies but then PSA, BGS, et cetera, would, put, would be in a bidding war to try to get any good grading. And the grading companies hold all the leverage over the hobby right now. If you had the training facilities, you would hold leverage over the grading companies and you would dominate. So I've said this to you, Cage, I mean, tons of times. To me, that's such a uncharted territory. Like Henry Ford, when he wanted to ramp up operations, I mean, colleges and universities, where did they even come from? <laughs> they were the breeding ground for to get, uh, help us become engineers and doctors, lawyers. Anyway, I won't get on that rant. What do you think about the Lakers' moves in the offseason? Building a nursing home right, right there in the Staples <laughs> Center. What do you guys think? I think Daniel will know more, obviously, because he understands the game and the sport more. But from a marketing perspective, I think it's fascinating. Uh, putting together an all-star team, whether it's the 2002 or 2004 Olympics or not, it's still they're an all-star team. And from a jerseys, marketing selling out the arena and the stadium every single night. They were already one, you know, top three best-selling arena on the planet. Now, who's not going to go? The, the front, the front that, those games are going to be packed, completely sold out. It's going to be watching, I don't know. The hard part for the NBA is how do you then, if you only have a three or four super teams, what happens to the other teams, right? If you go in, Milwaukee has no chance to go back, right? What? They, Let's, let's be clear. They got really, really lucky in this scenario for having so many injuries across all the major teams at the same time. I'm super happy for Giannis, but that's it for him. This... <laughs> I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is on this. I'm saying the Bucks go back to back. You're saying the Bucks are going to go back to back. You're going to get a lot better odds from a casino than from me because uh, the odds are not in their favor. Uh, but when you now have certain super teams that even if they have some players get injured, they still have a super team. I think it's going to be really difficult for them to. But they, they all have betas on their team where Giannis is the only alpha left in the league. I think he's nuts because the Hornets are clearly the class of the East. I mean, that's kind of where I'm going. Um, Dan, Dan's clearly a, a, a Durant guy, I think. You know, he's, you know he, might, he might be upset that, uh, that Durant on, on his own, even with, without any of his super team left, Almost took Giannis out. So imagine actually putting his his teammates back in but, there. But Fleischman, him. you're from you're from LA area, right? You're from SoCal originally. Yeah. Lenhart, you too. Are you from SoCal? But where's home for you? 
Yep, born and raised. What do you What do you think about the Lakers' moves? You excited to see Bello and uh, Braun play together? <laughs> I am. I think I, <laughs> that's it. That's the truth. That's the truth. Is there? It's It's so much deeper than just it just that. And and what's crazy is I didn't even. I was so I was a day late on half the trades, and I missed the whole draft too. I, I didn't even know what was going on. It was just a crazy week uh, with everything going on. Being there, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, trying to keep up on the trades, trying to keep up on this. But I will say I did make a couple big uh, Lamelo plays back at the last Dallas show. Guy came up to my table, asked if I had any Lamelo, and I was like, "Who asked for that?" He goes, "Something. I heard there's a rumor he might get traded." Five minutes oh, later, on, guy walked up with a stack, 12 to 15 Lamelo optic rated rookie PSA nines. He was asking Lonzo, right? You mean, you mean the brother that can't play as well? Lamelo could play, but Lonzo's <laughs> the brother who can't play as well. <laughs> Came up with a sack for fifteen dollars each. That's how cheap Lonzo ball off the greater rookie nines are. Fifteen to twenty-five dollars. So I thought that was a play. I thought that was good. So when I heard the trade, when I heard all this, I was excited. But with that said, I'm still not caught up on everything that's happened. I don't even know who the first five picks in the draft were. We got to catch you up. Last question, okay? So you mentioned PSA. You'd bet on PSA. Obviously, I bet on Coffee Breakers. Seeing your guys' operation, getting to meet you guys at the show, uh, I, I'm a believer. But you mentioned you know Starstock, Alt, uh, whatnot, all these companies. You know, it, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's someone you met at the show. I know you didn't get a chance to walk around, but maybe they came to your table. Who who left an impression? You know, who would you if you could buy into their card, so to speak? Who would you be buying into? Uh, I mean, Golden Auction is going far and away to become the biggest. They're just the most creative, the most marketing partnerships, the most deal flow, the most access. They're, there's lots of other auction houses, but watching what Ken is doing is far and away the most innovative and, and he takes action nonstop and he's always in the mix and he loves it more than anybody. So I think watching what Golden's going to do is fascinating. Uh, I liked hearing from Eric at Loop you know, having a good one-to-one -one listening to him about what his plans are, how he sees the game, what's different between them and whatnot and how they're doing more of like in-store, you know, had a couple of his clients have already done over a million in sales. I like what he's doing there. Uh, obviously grant from whatnot. I've been watching since the beginning, you know, for them to go out and raise $70 million is so wild. And, and put it, and put it all in uh, customer acquisition too, huh? They are going to be helping the entire market. You know. Bomb pops are expensive. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just watching some of the guys, I think that Tops is by far the most innovative. You know, I think it's interesting to watch what Project is doing. I think it's it's a way for people to get in and buying twenty dollar cards. I love that <clears throat> at, at scale, and the artists that they're getting are fascinating. And I'm trying to help introduce them to more artists that might fit for them that have large followings. Uh, so I like what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I think that. Watching the, the certain tech companies, watching what they're doing is most interesting. And then obviously some of the, on the distribu distribution side, you know, blowout cards and David Adams, like GTS, like some of these characters, they have a great runway ahead of them. So as an investor, I'd like to buy a piece of them, right? Because they're just going to keep growing and growing as there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new breakers and more dozens and dozens of stores popping up. What do they got to do? They got to buy products. Where are they going to buy it? Blowout, David Adams, GTS, and a handful of others. That's it. And so from a, if I put my investor hat back on, 
when you only have a few people to buy from, and you're not going to get an allocation for Panini Tops, etc. What are you going to do? You're going to go to these distributors. So there's a, I didn't have any one character that was like, oh my God, I have to like go all in on this person. But I was just watching what the star stocks and loops and whatnots are doing. Uh, it's exciting on the tech side, but also just the, the meat and potatoes of what the distributors and what Golden Auction is doing is, is going to be great to see. Any final words, Cage? Ah, I, think I think this was fun. That's a great place to end it. I mean, listen, we've talked about the artists and the culture. We talk about the breakers. And, you know, I'm sure very soon, Dan, you're right, they'll have their own breakers pavilion without the noise, without the distractions. Sort of like an autograph pavilion, breakers pavilion. I was shocked at how many breakers were there. And I think it's going to only grow. I think that's a segment of the hobby that's only getting bigger. Um, it's what I will tell you, and, and maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but the, the breaking side of it, if you could figure out a way where you guys are there as well. That was where the excitement was coming from. You know, you walk a casino, and I don't want to say we're all gamblers, but we're all gamblers. Um, you walk a casino, you want to head over to that roulette table where everybody's screaming. Someone's on a heater. It's, ah! That, that type of excitement was only coming from the breakers pavilion. People were hitting things. It was excitement. It's fun stuff. So, you know, you combine that culture, the breaking, sort of what you guys are doing. I mean, I think that's what leads us forward in the hobby. So, you know, guys, they're looking for people. They're looking for people in a whole bunch of locations. So he's like, come on, bring it on. That's good. Where, stuff. Should, where should they reach out? You should DM me on Coffee Breakers uh, yeah, on Instagram. Where's the best place? They can DM us or they can email info at thecoffeebreakers.com. Love it. Thank you, guys. Dan and Daniel Lenhart Fleischman. Glad I got to meet both of you. Fleischman, I'm glad we had you on the show, man. You're a wealth of knowledge. You're a businessman through and through. Thank you, guys. This was a blast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. This episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.